without hesitation or reservation with your struggles. And notice what the scripture says. We can come boldly to his throne. Notice what his throne is. For those of us who grew up in faith traditions that make us afraid of God, notice that his throne is a throne of judgment. It's a throne of grace. Grace. It's not a throne of judgment. It is a throne of grace. Meaning when I come to God with my pain and my struggles and my issues, I am coming to his throne of grace, not a throne of condemnation. And notice what it says. Notice what it says. Notice what it says. It says, what's going to happen when I come to his throne of grace boldly? It says that we may obtain mercy and we will find grace to help in our time of need. Are you going through a painful situation or circumstance? Are you grappling with pain? His throne of grace is there. His throne of grace is there. And you will find the grace of God to help you. Last thing I'm going to say, I wish we had the diagram. Do we have the, able to get anything on the screen? Still not yet? Okay. Um, when you have some time, uh, check out the grief cycle. The grief cycle on, um, uh, just Google it. It's called the grief cycle. The Kubler Ross Grief Cycle. This was developed in 1969 by Elizabeth Kubler Ross, I believe her name is. She wrote a book called On Death and Dying, and she talks about the grief cycle, the six stages of grief that we all go through. If you're dealing with pain today, in fact, I've got it on the monitor here, uh, there are six of, I thought it was six. It's five? It's five. Uh, five or seven. Five or seven, because uh, they have added two more, but the two kind of overlap. So uh, these are the five stages that Kubler-Ross uh, uh, developed. Uh, number one, denial. When you go through a painful situation or circumstance, uh, often there is denial. That denial can manifest as avoidance, confusion, uh, elation, shock, or fear. There's also anger. The second emotion you will experience in the grief cycle, it's not just denial, but there's anger. It can manifest as frustration, irritation, or even anxiety. Uh, so maybe you're in a place where you're grappling with pain, navigating your pain, and you might be angry, or maybe you've gone through denial. Those are all stages of the grief cycle. There's also depression. There's depression where you feel, over, you feel overwhelmed, you feel helpless, you feel uh, hostile, and you also feel a desire to flee, right, uh, uh, to get away. Uh, depression is one of those emotions you may experience through the grief cycle. There's also bargaining. Bargaining usually happens if you're going through a difficult time, and uh, you might say questions, you might ask yourself questions like, uh, uh, or you might say things like, man, if only we had gotten a second opinion. Or maybe if only we had tried harder. Or we say things, God, if you, if you do this thing for me, I'll serve you the rest of my days. We begin to make deals with God. And, and we begin to make, de make deals with our emotions. We begin to bargain, and it's, uh, we struggle to find meaning, uh, we might even reach out to others. We might even tell one story. And then finally, there's acceptance. Acceptance is when you come to the point where you deal with the pain and then you move on. Until a person gets to that place of acceptance, they usually are locked in the grief cycle. Now, one of the things we say here at City Church is when you complete your grief, when you complete your grief, you can continue your growth. All right. Most times people get caught somewhere in that grief cycle and they never move to the place of acceptance and move on. All right. Let's move on to the next I was okay. going to touch one more Gotta thing uh, uh, real, real quickly. I, I, something else as well is that, and the piece about as far as God knowing you and really knowing the difference between uh, the root of pain and the symptoms of pain. Very important to know the difference. Oftentimes, sometimes we can deal with the symptoms of pain and, and God allows you 
to really get to the root of the issue, uh, just a perfect example, I remember uh, I had hurt my ankle uh, playing sports and for some reason, because I hurt my ankle playing sports, my knee was also hurting because I had to limp to compensate for my ankle being hurting. And so the challenge is to see, my problem was not my knee, my knee was a symptom of my ankle being hurt. And so what God does a lot of times, he will get to the root of your issue. I remember the story of the scripture talks about the woman uh, uh, at the well where Jesus talks to her and, and he begins to talk to her about, uh, uh, she talks to him about, oh, you're such a great person. And Jesus asked the question, he says, well, where's your husband? And essentially the reason he asked that question is so that he could get to the root of her pain. She dealt with symptoms. He was trying to get to the root. And so it's very, very important. When you, when you do. Very, very good point. Very, very good point. Was that helpful at all? Amen. Talking about how to navigate pain. All right. Do we want to? Do we want to go to number two now, or do you want to? I think we should go to number two now. Come on, baby. You want to read that for us? Come on, somebody. Everybody say the struggle is real. The struggle is real. <laughs> Here we go. I'm gonna read it how it's written. Come on, y'all. I need some tips and scriptures. I know I should be be proud of not engaging in premarital sex, but my body is not. Come on, somebody. And my attitude isn't the greatest about the decision how to be single and enjoy my celibacy journey. Somebody say the struggle is real. Struggle is real. <laughs> In these streets. <laughs> Baby, you want to go? Yes. All right. Yes, I'll let yes. you go and I'll let the bishop also speak to it. The struggle is real, but it is doable. Come and on. it's like anything else in life. It has to be a decision. If you decide, hey, that celibacy thing is not for me and God will, you know, forgive me, that is true. But that is willful sin. And the scripture says, why frustrate the grace of God? But how do you live celibate? First of all, you just got to keep yourself busy. You got to go to work. You got to work out. You have to have friends. You got to join a club. You got to go to Bible study. You just have to and you have to guard yourself um, against things that will arouse those desires. I get this monthly box subscription, and I am a reader, but I don't read romance novels. I'm married to a romance novel, so I don't like oh. for things to be. <laughs> so, but then this box on, subscription, somebody. they sent me this romance novel, so I sold it back to uh, uh, Half Price Books. So you have to be careful of what you are allowing in your eye gate too. You have to be careful what you're watching on TV, uh, the kind of music you're listening to, because our culture is oversaturated with the perversion of sex. The scripture is very clear. God gave us sex, number one, for enjoyment. That's number one, not just to make kids, number one for enjoyment in the context of marriage. So you can read uh, the Song of Solomon, the Song of, yeah, Song, Song of, of Solomon. Solomon read the Song of Solomon in the Old Testament, but I'll give you a quick reference. I'm going to read one scripture because they asked for scripture, so I'm so very proud of that. So I'll read through one. It's out of the ESV version, and I'll just give you some references. And just pray. Ask the Lord to help you. Ask the Lord, Lord, I just need strength in this area. Uh, help me. Ray and I, we dated probably for a year and a half, but we were not even in the same state for half of that time because he got an internship here that worked for us. Uh, and when I'm saying it's doable, so we met, we had a curfew. See, the first time 
we had tongue kids. We thought we could handle it. You gonna and tell it on was, that part right there? <laughs> it was, well, we gotta she help the it. people. Did she just tell it? And so we we tongue kissed, and it was like oh, it was like a run to our apartments. We lived in the complex across from each other, so it was like that kiss just messed things up. Now from that point on, we I curled her toes on that first kiss, y'all. <laughs> yeah, I was the one like, Lord, He will forgive us. But we were in Bible school, and Ray was like, this is was his 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 phrase, gotta make tracks. He didn't say goodbye. He just walked. He didn't even shut the door. He just walked out. Because it was that, oh, we're getting ready to kiss goodbye. It was the first kiss, and we're in Bible school. From that day forth, we never tongue-kissed again until we got married. From that day and forth. And somebody said, wow. Yeah. Yeah, we did. because And. And we had a 930. No, it was 930 because I was looking. Oh, my bad. We had a 930 curfew. We would go, you would go home and we'd talk on the phone to 10, 15, or 20. But we had a 930 curfew. It wasn't nothing to do in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, in Bible school after 930. No way. So we had that nice was necessary for me, and I was gro how old? I was twenty. How old? Twenty eight. You had to be twenty six. I was twenty eight. Twenty six, twenty seven. I was twenty eight. Twenty something. We were grown in man. There. Yeah. Grown man. But here's the deal, though. Here's the deal. Those were guardrails we put in place for us. That's right. You got to know your limitations. You got to know your limitations, and that sounds like so old fashioned. But there was something that was more important to Pastor Wendy and me than just momentary pleasure. And that was honoring God. The thing that becomes a guardrail for you must be of greater importance to you than physical intimacy. And for us, honoring God was more important than getting jiggy. And for me, for me, you didn't put that in place, did you? You put it in place. I put it in place. For me, because honoring God was more important than momentary pleasure. Sounds old-fashioned, and I know we got our young people in here. Critically important. Critically important. Because the truth is, if you let the devil in the back seat, pretty soon he's going to want to drive. Mm -hmm. That's, right. That's how it works. That's how it works. Sorry, I interrupted yeah. you. I'm sorry. That's okay. We, we were in Bible school, too, so it was, we just had, a, um, we were just surrounded by a constant reminder of God's presence. And I think, you know, just to be honest, both of us had failed in that area before, so we knew that disconnect. I had, our, he's a red blood, blood African that was, you know, uh, <laughs> he comes from five brothers, five, four older brothers, and... They were well-to-do, so girls were readily available. I had been married and divorced and knew what it had been, so we already understood that this thing, doing it the world's way, it really doesn't work. And so we were able to, he instituted that. And I was so grateful because at that time, I did not have the spiritual maturity. I didn't want to be disconnected from God, but I just was not a very thoughtful person about some things. I just kind of was like, okay, go with the flow. And that really helped me establish 
it woke me up and established some self-worth in my in myself so to help you to stay celibate don't be with somebody that's going to violate your decision uh ray years ago um when we were first in ministry, though we were married, we didn't do premarital counseling together, but he had a situation where he was doing premarital counseling and the young lady really wanted to follow the steps of celibacy and she felt pressure from the fiance and gave in. And she just got to a breaking point. She actually came back to Ray and they called off the wedding because she said if he will compromise, they were in church together and everything in this area, then when I get married, then there'll be other uh, there'll be other things to compromise. If you struggle with that and you're married now or you struggle, guess what? Today is a new day and we took communion. That's the right. Bible says, forgetting those things which are behind me, now I press toward the mark. So right now is a moment of a do-over for you. So don't, don't, don't beat yourself up about it. Um, like I said, we had that, Ray started that curfew and everything and we did not marry for another 18 months. So it was even when we were when I moved to Texas finally, I was teaching. I had an apartment in Plano. He had an apartment in Dallas. We didn't play those old oh, spend the night, you sleep on the couch. We we stayed in two separate cities. When we were filling out our even for our wedding invitations, I think we made it planning for the wedding to eleven o'clock together. And that, but every single weekend, I was in Tulsa planning our wedding. And so we had things in place that kept us from being in those compromising situations. But here are the scriptures. I'm just going to read one to you, and then I'll give you the other references. Again, it's not exhaustive. 1 Corinthians 7, 32 through 40, and I'm reading out of the ESV version. It says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. And so that's where Ray was. He was unmarried, and so he didn't have kids. He didn't have to worry about a wife or a girlfriend. So he was worried about pleasing the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried and betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, this is Paul writing, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. So while you're single, Paul is saying, I'm not trying to put a constraint on you, but I'm telling, I'm encouraging you to be concerned about the things of the Lord. That way your, your interests aren't divided. Because when you are married, like we're getting ready to go on the nine-day fast, we do not have marital relations during fasting that the Bible encourages for you not to, if you've got a stronghold in your marriage and you need to do it, then you can fast something else. That's something that we have in place according to the scripture. So Paul is saying, hey, be committed to the things of the Lord. When you're married, your, your devotions are divided. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes, let them marry it is no sin so if you just have fire just shut up in your bosom and you're like look i'm not doing well in this single life you just don't go and grab somebody to marry but you may not have an 18 month engagement i think we were engaged six months you may know we had a six month engagement even though we dated for 18 months again we weren't in the same state at some point we weren't in the same city but for our engagement it was six months 
that's where we were. So the Bible is saying, again, you just don't go off and get married. My, may she rest in, may my grandmother rest in peace. But my grandmother was one, she got grown and she just wanted to be out of the house. So she got married. And he ended up being an alcoholic. And so she thought, well, you know, I might as well just get married again. I don't want to be by myself. And she got married to her second husband. It's a whole long story. Her father killed her second husband. And so then she just kind of went through this season of really following hard after God. And then she met my granddaddy, Levi. And they just lived happily ever after until he went to be with the Lord first. And then she just a couple years ago. So everybody's walk will be different. But if your focus is to honor God, put some things in place so that you are able to do that. And then I'll just give you the scripture reference right There's 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20. There's 1 Corinthians 7, 7 through 9. There's Matthew 19, 10 through 12. There's 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 3. Wow, you came loaded, baby. Come on. They wanted to They started off with y'all. And then <laughs> they were. And then there is uh, 1 Timothy 3 through 2. Again, you can just Google scriptures on celibacy, and that will help you. But put some put some boundaries in place for yourself. Know your limitations. Uh, don't be connected with people. You can have a if you're a female, you can have a girlfriend that's like, girl, please, don't even worry about that. You, you can't listen to those kind of girlfriends. And if you're a guy, you, you can't be around guys that are just really, it's not healthy for them to say, oh man, and they're always talking about their conquests and everything because that just stirs up passion. God gave us uh, sexual desire. It is, it is God-given, but it has, to be, it has to be harnessed like anything else. And if we just let it run amok, it will not serve us well on so many levels. We could just take a whole nother turn about the spiritual uh, aspects of it, not just failing God. But when you come together with a person, you're becoming one. Sure. And that's a whole nother awful dynamic if you're just messing around in the streets out here. And you may not, men are can compartmentalize, and so they, may, they are more built to just have this conquest here, this conquest here, and not them intermingle. Women, we are emotional, and so we can get these ungodly soul ties. Both men and women can get ungodly soul ties, but you get these entanglements, and that's when you see women acting crazy and scratching cars and all this, because you got an ungodly soul tie, and it was never meant to be. So we could, this is a whole sermon by itself, but we hope that it that helped you. If you have any more questions, you can just send the questions, whether it's yeah. on this or something else, to info at citychurchtv.com. Again, that's info at citychurchtv.com, and we want to uh, help you with this. No, very good. I mean, this is, I wish we had more time to really deep dive that question and answer that question in the conversation. Just have guardrails in place for your own life personally. Here's a great resource. Uh, just for our young people, our young adults, our students. Uh, many of you have heard of Megan Good and Devon Franklin, wrote a fantastic book called The Weight, 
the weight. And they, they talk about their journey of celibacy. Uh, both of them were sexually active. Devon Franklin is a minister, an SDA minister, but he made the decision uh, before he even met Megan Good that he was going to honor the Lord with his body and uh, practice celibacy. Incredible book. In fact, I had a six-minute clip that we were going to show, but we're having technical difficulties. You have to see the big picture and put guardrails in place. Again, honoring God must trump, it must trump uh, any sort of momentary pleasure. Imagine Joseph and Potiphar's wife putting the moves on you. Potiphar's wife put the moves on him because he was good looking and he was handsome and all this other stuff and he fled. He fled from Potiphar's wife. He had the opportunity. He had the willingness uh, from, from the other party. But he said, how can I do this thing and sin against my God? There was something about honoring God that was more important to him than meeting an immediate physical need or the need for sexual gratification. There's a whole lot I could say about that right there, a whole lot I could say about that, but you'll save yourself a world of trouble uh, with that. And yeah, we'll run that video at some point in the very near future. The only thing, the uh, last thing I'll say is, man, that sex thing, man, it will cloud your judgment. You'll be thinking one thing and I'm in love with this person and y'all really ain't got nothing in common except y'all just codependent sexually. <laughs> it is a trick. It is a big deception. I promise you. And again, I wish I had more time to talk about that, uh, but put some guardrails in place. Put some guardrails in place, okay, as it relates to your sexual purity, but the weight is a phenomenal resource. You can go online, YouTube, just put in the weight. All the videos are there, and you can also buy the book. Uh, Jesse, was there anything you wanted to say about that, and we'll move on? Um, no? Wendy just about covered it all. Um, I would just say that you know that, you know, the sexual desires are normal. Yes. Uh, you know, you're not abnormal because you want to have sex. Uh, God has put in place parameters to help us to deal with such a beautiful gift. Uh, the Bible says in um, uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 10 and 13 uh, that, uh, where we go, where we go, where we go, uh, that uh, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common, but man is, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And so God will help you to overcome the challenge that you're facing. Uh, you know, uh, to eat, eating is fine. Overeating is not good. Uh, sleeping, we all have a desire to sleep, but you can become lazy and sleep all the time. Uh, sex is a normal desire, uh, but outside the confines of God and marriage, uh, then it becomes, uh, it's just like fire. It becomes, it can be good, uh, and it can also be bad. There was a, um, so temptation is going to be there find a way of escape like Joseph did. Uh, there was a young man who went to an elderly man. He was in his 20s, and, and he was saying, man, he went to this elderly gentleman. He said, man, he said, how old you got to be before this thing stop? <laughs> and the elderly man said, I don't know. I ain't old enough yet. <laughs> Come on, Jesse. So my point to you is it's going to be there. God will help you to escape it. Uh, find you some friends. And another good thing is to find some people who have the same goal and the same intent and the same God that you have. And you guys are all trying to, to work on pleasing God. So find the right person to help you as a support piece.
Awesome. Let's segue to our next question. Just, uh, Cedric, let me ask you real quick. How much time do we have in here? I know it's 1120. About 15. Can y'all give us 15? We'll knock these out real quick. Is that fair? Okay, very good. All right, so uh, perfect segue into the next question. Uh, this is kind of going to be rapid fire answers because we've got, how many we answered so far? Two? Oh, boy. <laughs> Okay, we go, we go, we go, go with a quickness. Uh, here, here's question number three. Uh, it says, uh, uh, how do you know your partner is the one God has for you? How do you know? I'm asking you, Bishop. <laughs> oh, oh, did you want to jump in? You have um, okay, go yeah, ahead. Go let ahead. me just, well, I'll, I'll do a quick rabbit. One, one of the things is you want to connect with a person. Uh, there is something called connection. You're going to connect some way, somehow. You're going to see them in the coffee shop. You're going to see them at school. Uh, and you're going to probably start out with some kind of social connection. Uh, and what you want to see is, are you able to become intimate at a social level? To get, you know, to see, not at, uh, just, just at a social level. Are you guys able to connect with each other? Uh, then you maybe want to see, then it'll, it'll probably progress to something emotional. Uh, you know, can you get into me, you see, you know, at, at, the, at an emotional level. Then at an intellectual level, uh, you want to be able to communicate and talk to each other and have some level of intellect that you can communicate and become intimate on in that area. Uh, and also, of course, uh, uh, there's one you want, can you play together? Can you, can you play together? Is there an intimate playfulness with you that's, that's good for you? You can see each other. Uh, and then, of course, there's the one where there's the one that's most important. And with those, can you get to the place where there's a spiritual intimacy with your God? You got to get there. If you don't become with a spiritual intimacy with your God, you're going to cross the line. Ray and Wendy had a spiritual intimacy with their God and with each other to the point that they saw that it was important for them to have what boundaries and guidelines. Then after all that's over, you get married. Then, of course, what? There's a physical, sexual intimacy that you can proceed in. So that's what I would say that, you know, look at those levels and see if you're connecting on those different levels uh, before you decide that you're going to tie them out. Very good. You had something? I, I, I'm a believer that you can, you can, there's a hundred different people that you could marry and be happy with, mm -hmm. but there's one that fulfills something that is most important to you. So there probably, I don't think it was a hundred for me, but there might have been 20 other guys I could have just married and had an okay life but Ray was the only man I ever met that put God first and I needed that I needed somebody to be the head of the household spiritually if he could honor God then he could honor anything else and that is what I decided before I met Ray I had already written out a list in a journal of all my non-negotiables and things that were negotiable. And I just had a list. Number one, even though I was already 28 years old, I, for me, then at 28, I was not going to marry a man that already had children because I didn't want to deal with no crazy baby mama. <laughs> that was for me. I didn't want no girl all in my face. And where I was at 28, I didn't want to remi be reminded that they had already did it. That was for me at 28 years old. So that was number one. So at 28 years old, it's early 2000s. You know, that just knocked out half the population, you know. And so, but, and I was in Bible school, but I had already been married. My first husband divorced me. So I was not looking for a man in Bible school. I actually thought I was going to end up being a missionary because I thought no good Christian guy would want me because I just was throwed away goods, but God. So anyway, 
because of my list I made, and I said I need him to lead spiritually, both my biological father and um, my stepdad, neither one of them were able to lead spiritually. So as a child, I just saw the conflict. They weren't immoral. They didn't mess around with other women, but both of them had issues with drinking and keeping a job and all those kinds of things. And I just felt like this is not what I want to go through. So you have to be compatible. If you're a person that's thinking, well, how do I know the sex is going to be good unless I drive the car before I buy it? Well, whether y'all could just really throw down, you're going to have to get a rhythm together. Right. There is no how do I know it's going to be good if I, and there is such a lie in sin. Oh, if you just go, whether you're married or not, sin is so enticing and it'll trick you, it'll feel good, it'll seem so good. No, if y'all are just it by yourselves and you come together, you still have to get a rhythm with any person you're going to be with. Absolutely. So whether you do it before you get married, it's going to change after you get married because it's a trick. And then whether you, <laughs> whether you stay celibate, it's a trick. sin, it'll like trick that. you. Whether you stay celibate right. and then you get married, there are things you're going to have to work through and it's yeah. going to be different levels when we first got married it just well all the kids anyway we first got married pump the brakes but then Pastor. you deal with something different after you have that first baby for me you start putting on weight and it's like oh my goodness because we didn't do it before we got married it's like our wedding night it's like that whole insecurity of you know you just got to get your rhythm and everything together so Anyway, how do you know this person is the one for you? You are the only one that can determine that. There are always, for men, there's always going to be another woman that looks like they're it. For women, there's always going to be another man. But I, from the men that I met in my life, I never found anybody that could bring the absolute best of God out of me other than Ray Harmon. Well, thank you, baby. Very kind. Good word. Good word. How are we doing on that 15 minutes, Bishop? We got about 10? Okay. Y'all got 10 minutes? We're going we're to we're we're drop it like it's hot. Here we go. All right. Here's my two cents on how you know they're the one for you. How to, how, one word. One word. Maybe three words. It's a three-word phrase. Give it time. How are you going to know they're the one for you? Give it time. You may not know immediately. And that's the problem. Most of us buy into this fairy tale uh, definition of love and romance. Like love at first sight. He's going to sweep me off my feet. Doesn't always happen that way. Sure. Give it time. Here's why you give it time. You give it time because you can't hide stink. Amen. That's true. <laughs> Come on, somebody. You can't. Hot stink. You see, Pastor Ray, what you're talking about? You ever, you ever like, like you know, sometimes you, you, you buy chicken and you skin the chicken and you got the chicken skin and, and, and the, the trash day ain't for another two days, but you forget and you put that chicken skin in the trash? Y'all know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about? That's the way a lot of people are, right? You can't see it, but you can for sure smell it. And you go around in the relationship, it's like, man, something's stinking. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but something's stinking. But it takes time for the stink to come out. Are y'all with me? Yes. 
So give it time. How do you know they're the right one? Just give it time. Pace yourself. And that's why physical intimacy prematurely will cloud your judgment. You will give, the scripture says in the Song of Solomon, do not awaken love before it's time. That's what it says. That's what most people do. You arouse love, you stir up love before it's time, and now you're stuck because now you thought you loved it. In fact, there's, there's this, this hormone that is released. When we talk about soul tiles, they're, they're, there's, it's biological. In fact, they did studies on this prairie rat, and it's the only animal other than humans that practice monogamy, believe it or not. When that rat, they have one partner for the, a rat, a prairie rat, they have one partner for the, the, the duration of their life. When that rat dies, they've studied these rats. They will never mate with another rat. And when they did the research, they found that the difference in this prairie rat was that it had, is it oxytocin? What, what's the connection hormone? It's oxytocin, I think. It's the, is, is that right? Oxytocin is the connection hormone. That's why when a baby is born, they put the baby on the mother's breast because when they stroke the mother, I mean the baby, and they touch the baby, even premature babies, that's why they encourage physical contact because oxytocin is released. It is the connection hormone. That means when the scripture says when you become one with someone else, that you, uh, when you have intercourse with someone else, you become one with them. It is because when two humans have intercourse, oxytocin is released and it is a connection hormone. You are connected with that person. Ain't just a one night stand. There is a connection that happens, right? And it will cloud your judgment. So here it is. Here it is. How do you know this is the right person? Give it time. What do you do with that time, though? What do you, you do with that time. That time is for gathering data. That's what dating is. You're gathering data. You're gathering information. Five C's. Let me give you five C's real quick. I'm going to go fast. The first C is chemistry. That's where you want to start. That's what Pastor Jesse was talking about. There is a natural attraction, okay? She's the right height. She's got the right dimensions. We got chemistry. We like the same things. We enjoy the same things. We have a common history. We come a, have a common background. It begins with chemistry. That's the first C. Do I enjoy my time with you? That's the first C. There's chemistry. The difficulty with chemistry is you can have chemistry with more than one person. Because there's more than one person that has that hair color, more than one person that has that complexion, more than one person who likes football, more than one person that likes basketball, more than one person who has that style. So chemistry alone is not enough. Most people say, oh, I got amazing chemistry. This is the man or the woman for me. No, it's a good place to start, but it's not enough to build your whole life on. That's just the first C. I enjoy my time with you. Chemistry. But you got to go from chemistry to core values. That's the second C. Core values are, uh, does this person value what I value? Are the things that are important to them important to me? i just give you one random example. You're a saver, they a spender. <coughs> Thank you for, com- for confirming that. <laughs> that can be a major problem. Most people never think about that. Do you value the same things? Let me give you one example. I gave an example of my brother. And most people, and this is what the scripture says, do not be unequally yoked. Most of us have amazing chemistry with people and you just yoke up with them. But you don't value the same things. It says, what does light have with darkness? What fellowship does Christ have with the law? And so most people get married 
because they had amazing chemistry, but they don't even value the same things. I've, my wife and I have sat in premarital counseling uh, 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 sessions with people where the marriage was going to end because one spouse wanted to spank the kids and the other one said, don't touch my child. Well, y'all should have figured that out a long time before you got married, though. But y'all had amazing chemistry and never had a conversation about parenting and discipline. And now your whole marriage is going to end because the husband grew up being spanked and you grew up being talked to and you're about to go your separate ways because y'all had amazing chemistry and didn't give it enough time to have that conversation. Core values matter. Core values matter. Do you value the same things? Then, number three is character because a person's core values will determine their character. Because you can gauge whether this person is a person of integrity by what they say matters most to them. Most people don't give the relationship enough time to even identify if this person is somebody of integrity. But we got amazing chemistry, so let's get married. Haven't even given it time to, to talk about. In fact, when we sit down with people who have already, who already got their wedding date and we start talking about core values, most of them don't even have core values. But they're ready to get married, though. What do you value? What do they value? And then most times when we make the, make the list, total opposite. <coughs> and then they wonder why there's tension in the relationship. Y'all don't even value the same things. What's important to you ain't important to them. What's important to them ain't important to you. How you going to get married and make it? Yeah, you can make it, but, but, but everybody's got their pain threshold. And at some point, the things that you overlooked at the beginning are going to get on your last nerve. So most people, when the chemistry wears off, the honeymoon wears off, now you're dealing with character and core values issues that you didn't even anticipate. Number four is capacity. Capacity is the capacity question is always, it's always, can you grow with me? Now let me talk to the married people for a while. That's where most of us get stuck because you think 20 years later that person's still going to be the same person that they were at the altar when you married them. You think they're going to be the same person that they were when they were in college. That's a problem though because it means both of y'all stuck. You were created to evolve. You were created to grow. You were created to... In fact, Muhammad Ali said it this way. The man who see, sees life at age 50 the same way he did at age 20 has wasted 30 years of his life. And some of y'all married to people who still see life at 50 the way they did at 20. And you move, you, you, you 30 years ahead of them. And it's like you're just dragging them with you. And it frustrates the life out of you. You know why? You didn't give it time. You should have asked the capacity question. Baby, when I'm 46, is it okay for me to wear skinny jeans? <laughs> Come on, somebody. You say no. Can I just wake up one morning and start wearing vans? <laughs> most of us don't even have those, those conversations. And most of us write it off, and this is what we do. We call it a midlife crisis. It's not a midlife crisis. That person is evolving. That person is growing. You can't be stuck right here. If you want to buy a motorcycle and ride it on Saturday, and you're still stuck where you were 20 years ago, that's a capacity issue. There was a millionaire... Australian, actually Australian billionaire who was being uh, interviewed, and, 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 and this is what they asked the, 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 this guy on the show. He said, uh, uh, what do you appreciate the most about your wife? Because they always talked about how amazing this guy's relationship was. What do you appreciate most about your wife? He said, the thing I appreciate most about my wife 
is that she has adapted to the nine men I have become over the course of our marriage. This guy looked at his life and he said, I ain't the same guy I was when we got married. I can look at my life and I have morphed at least nine times. And my wife adapted to each one. And it should be the converse should be true. Men, we should be flexible and pliable enough to allow our wives to evolve as well. But most people get married, don't even ask that question about capacity, talking about the future. They don't even, don't even talk about that. All they do, I got amazing chemistry, and so we jump over. So chemistry is here, and we jump over core values. We jump over character. We jump over capacity, and then we make a commitment. Let me tell you what we'll do. We just jump from one cliff to another cliff, and the bridge is out. Bridges out. Oh, I had amazing chemistry, and I made a commitment. But man, no core values, no character, no capacity. But I put a ring on it, and now I'm regretted. How do you know they're the one? Give it time to ask these questions and to ask them honestly. Okay. In premarital counseling, whether Pastor Ray and I do it or not, having that level of accountability. Sometimes when you're young, you, want to get, you don't even have to be young. You could be middle-aged or older and you're getting married. You don't even know to have these conversations. And so that's why I know that we've come against where people have been very resistant, resistant of the premarital process. And so if you don't do it with us, you can do it with somebody. You can even go and hire professionals. But there are some things that love and lack of experience, it'll blindside you. And you, how did we know to talk about kids? It was brought up in our premarital counseling. And we had double premarital counseling. We had it at uh, Bible school where we were getting married. They required 13 weeks of it. But he was on staff at a church. And so they required six weeks of premarital counseling because he was going to be on staff. So we did 13 weeks in Oklahoma. We did six weeks here in Plano. And there were some different things in different areas that we didn't know to talk about. Right. Uh, we even got down to talking about, you know, what do you think about chores or having the car wash? And we thought that was so silly. But it is important if you are expecting, I have had an expectation that every Saturday he would just go and wash my car. Well, at that time, he wasn't thinking about washing the car. But I just thought that's what just what men did. So we had to talk about it. And he still does wash my car every Saturday. But we had to talk about it. He was like, well, hold up, aren't we? Uh, he took, he's like, I'm going to the barbershop. I go to the garage, he's taking my car. And I noticed you filled it up with gas too. Yes. Come on, somebody. See, I was just that's how we car roll. Wash. I never Look. even thought that a man would take your car and fill it up with gas. That's how I we got roll. Bonus, so. That's how we roll. Ladies, ladies, send your man to Fight Club. They're going to show up with their car wash and a full tank of gas. All right. So last thing I want to say, how much time we got? How much time we got? We out of time? Okay. So, so real quick, real quick, couple things, couple things. Uh, Couple things for the married folk. For the married folk, you said this. Eh? Uh, expectations huge. Okay, let me just say this. Mm -hmm. The reason it's important to talk about these things is because your level of exasperation, your level of exasperation right now in your marriage or relationship is 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 this. It is the difference between your expectation 
and what you actually are experiencing. This gap in between is the level of your exasperation. So what most people do is they have an expectation, they never talk through it, and now uh, they, they have an experience with this person, but right in the middle, man, is the exasperation and the frustration because they expected something that's different from what they experienced. The way you close the gap is you have to talk through expectation so that your expectation and your experiences touch. Are y'all with me? All right, so critical, so critical. If you're feeling any exasperation anywhere, it's time to talk through your expectations. What time is it? You had answered this one, and these two you probably have to fit in. Okay, so, yeah, okay, so real quick, I'll tell you what it is. The question was, how come most of the message we hear today are only about living a good life, but we don't hear the message of salvation? I think that's an honest question. I think that's a really good question, and I think... uh, Uh, We need to find that balance again. And when I say we, I'm talking about churches. I'm talking about pastors, including myself, uh, revisiting the message of salvation and making that foremost and putting it at the forefront of all that we do. And so so there's there's an opportunity for that. The only thing I'll say about this is this. uh, There was a time in the church, all you heard was the message of salvation. So we prepared people for heaven, but we didn't prepare people for life. Are y'all with me? And so there was a whole bunch of us who were going to heaven who didn't know how to navigate life. And so it's critically important that salvation is not just about getting to heaven. It's about experiencing an abundant life here. So there's a balance that even for me as a pastor, that question challenged me. Okay, I need to get back to that, the message of salvation. And salvation is not just about being saved. uh, in fact, in Acts chapter 5 and verse 20, the angel appeared to Peter and he says, Go stand in the temple courts and declare to them the whole message of this new life. Salvation is not only about heaven, it's also about this life here and now. But there has to be balance. There, uh, yeah, so uh, the last two questions, Tony, I know you brought the young people in because we're going to talk about doctrine, and, uh, but we're out of time. Two questions I received about doctrine, uh, and uh, I don't think I'm going to be able to answer. What time is it? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I got to let y'all go. Two questions I received about, about doctrine, and uh, we'll revisit this because we'll talk about our statement of faith. Number one, uh, once you're saved, can you lose your salvation? That's the eternal security question. If you're born again, if you're saved, can you lose your salvation? Two schools of thought. There's the eternal security, uh, where if the person is saved, they are sealed, they are secure for eternity. And then there's other schools of thought that a person can actually backslide and die in their sin and not make it to heaven. All right, two schools of thought there. We will answer that question. And again, the reason I say this is because these are questions that have been debated for centuries. Centuries, there's no way we can answer that right now. And then the last question was, All right, is praying in tongues a gift for every believer, and do you pray in tongues? Come on, somebody. That's another question that's been debated for centuries. And the short answer is yes and yes. The short answer for me is yes and yes and for our church. Uh, Do you believe tongues is for every believer? Absolutely, unequivocally, categorically, yes. And we can show you from the scripture that it belongs to every, it is a gift that belongs to every believer. Do I pray with other tongues? Absolutely and unapologetically. But we'll explain Every what... day and very loud early in the morning. <laughs> like between three and four. And check this out. Nothing to be f- afraid of. It, it, check this out. 
uh, is that weird? I mean, so a lot of times people think about tongues and they think it's a weird thing. Y'all been coming for I don't know how long. Are, are we weird, me and my wife? Let me tell you something. Weird Christians were weird before they got filled with the Spirit. They're not weird because they were filled with the Spirit. They're just weird, period. So we'll talk about these <laughs> We'll talk about these things in the weeks to come. I promise you, you will have, uh, as we look to the word around uh, eternal security, around salvation, and Holy Spirit. Come on. We're going to get into some powerful, powerful stuff. Let me just say this. Uh, I grew up an Episcopalian. I went to a Catholic school, then went to a Southern Baptist school. And so my doctrine was all over the place. I landed where I landed concerning the Holy Spirit and the present-day ministry of the Holy Spirit based on personal study. It wasn't because I grew up Episcopalian or I grew up Southern Baptist or I grew up Pentecostal or I grew up Assemblies of God. It was because I studied the Word for myself and I saw the truth of God's Word. And those are things we're going to explore together. Amen? Why don't you stand with us? Why don't you stand with us?